Education was not simply another part of American society. It was the key that opened the golden door. education, you learn how to learn. We must, learn. Trust, we must trust students to learn if given the chance. To learn if given the chance. podcast where we're going to be talking about all things education having to do with parents students teachers policy kind of whatever is happening in the news and what's relevant in the world today i am one of your hosts karen greenhouse and we have our other host tim pope say hi tim howdy howdy um we've had a little bit of a break for the holidays but we are back and we're excited because this is our first kind of special episode and tim's had the opportunity um over the past summer to do some traveling and some of it was to kenya working with teachers so we're going to have a little episode about that so tim i'm going to let you give us a little bit of background about how that even all occurred so I, I went to Kenya with a group that I'm involved in called Teachers to Teachers International, and it's a phenomenal organization. We will include a, a link to their site um, on the webpage uh, to go visit their work. It's a, it's a group that exists to, we send teachers to developing countries, and it's really sort of a educational exchange. We go to other countries and do workshops and teacher visits to help the, help it, inform teachers and help improve education in those countries. But as importantly, we spend time in schools and learning from their teachers in their schools and learn things that we also bring back to the U.S. Now, uh, I've now done three different trips. I've been to Guatemala, the Galapagos, and then we went to Kenya this past summer. So this episode is special because we actually have some experiences of yours that you've brought back with you, uh, some voices, I guess, from that experience. So can you maybe give us a little bit of a lead into what we are going to be hearing soon? Yeah, I, I mean, before we went, I had the idea that we could do a podcast based on the trip and what I learned. And we were there and I had the good fortune, um, the group we were working with, part of, their, part of their work is besides working with teachers and supporting schools is they have, a, they support a group of women, mostly HIV positive women in terms of trying to find um, a vocation, a job to help, help those women bring in money to support their families. And so they offer a, a tailoring service. They make all sorts of crafts and clothes and... The project was started uh, in 2012. The Simpsons project is, uh, actually it is called um, the Hope Designers. It is a project of Cargeno, a non-profit organization working to empower communities uh, across Western Kenya through a variety of strategies. Our work is to give the women the skills that they need to be socioeconomically independent so they can provide for their families and also pay for their... for school fee for their children and uh, so far we are working with the 20 women but we only have eight tailoring machines so we don't have uh, the the sufficient number of the tools that we needed to to cover like the whole 20 women at a time so uh, the the program as it is now we support mostly we support ourselves but we have other peoples uh, uh, in the western countries that do support us by by buying our products and then the returns we can uh, share a portion with the women and also the rest who help us to run the, the program like paying rent and paying the bills, monthly bills of the project. So we were meeting with those women because they've made a bunch of things that we brought back to the States and the, they were 
kind and generous enough to allow me to set up the microphone and the computer in the, in their home, um, in the home of the woman who uh, is one of their coordinators. And we just spent some time asking them about schools and their experience of school as, as students themselves, as parents. And it was uh, incredibly enlightening. And I thought uh, originally we had this whole plan to edit it and make some story. And then as I was re-listening to it a couple weeks ago, I, I'm like, well, you know what, we could just sort of play this as is and hear their story and, and singing and a little Swahili language, although uh, there is a translator in the room, so no worries. Yeah, and I, I don't want to say too much before it gets started and let the cat out of the bag, but I, I'll tell you, as you listen to it, my recommendation for everybody is listen to it and just sort of compare and contrast contrast what you hear from these parents to what you would think about schools here in the States. So these are not the teachers. These are the women that made the clothes. And so you're 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 doing it from a per- parental perspective or a, as a student perspective, right? Yeah, it was some uh, some parents. And then they did a lot of uh, reminiscing about their experience as students, uh, which was enlightening as well as at a certain point, incredibly entertaining. I mean the the homes the the homes in the Kenyan villages, they're not large, um, so we were in like it was a two room home when we did that conversation, and so we were in there I guess what you would call the living room, which was like a fifteen by fifteen maybe feet, and there was there was like twelve of us in the room. <laughs> so Rafin is here. He lives here in Kasumu and is our coordinator for Teachers to Teachers. So let me ask you, Rafine, why did the, what led you to invite teachers to teachers to come to come here to Kasuma? Okay, uh, just as I told you, and you've seen that it's lack of teachers compared to the number of students that are going to to school. So that gap, and then there is no motivation that teachers get in Kenya. Yeah, so we teachers in Kenya mostly they feel so isolated, especially in Kisumu and in the village. They feel so much isolated and like the government are just for their services, but there is no form of motivation that can make them to work harder and nurture the children, the students well. Yeah, so those are some of the things that encourage me to involve teachers to teachers international in our country, so that we can have. Uh, our teachers motivated, and also the workshops that uh, teachers to teachers organize can also help them to develop uh, to develop their uh, curriculum and also for the exchange programs. In general, what do, what do you what's the thing you recall most about your time in primary school? Primary school, just for the Americans listening, be the equivalent of first grade through eighth grade here. And secondary school would be the equivalent of our high school. We we were learning how to speak English, how to write. Eh? Even mother tongue, we were being told in a primary school. So just to explain a little bit. So people here, actually, before they're out of school, they end up speaking three languages. In the U.S., we only speak one language. We learn English, and that's all we ever learn. Swahili, English, so, and mother tongue. Yeah. So you learn mother tongue at home yes. when you're young, yes. and then uh, in school you learn English and Kiswahili. Yeah. So you end up speaking three languages. That's amazing to me. <laughs> <laughs> so what did you like most about school? Maybe when I was in primary school, 
I like to make things like uh, handwork, making things like clothes. So it's the one I choose to do, like making this pattern of designing. Which has become your profession, right? Yeah, that's yeah. that's wonderful, and that was and that was your favorite part of school as well. Yeah. And you did that in primary school? Yes, we have been doing that in primary school. We have home science. So do they do that in other? Because we didn't see anything no, like that in primary craft. schools. We yes. only do home science in high school. Home science, oh, secondary school. Yeah, secondary school. All right. We are also singing, dancing, traditional dance. In school. Yeah, yes. in primary. Oh, that's wonderful. Do they still do that today as well? Yeah, they also do the same. Yeah. I like most the Kiswahili language. I like playing football. <laughs> and for those of you dumb Americans listening, football, is, you would call it soccer. <laughs> okay, as for me, maybe, mm-hmm. yeah, when we were in the primary school, we had that freedom for physical education and it was part of the timetable, the program that was running in the school. So each and every day we could be given an opportunity to go to the field, we can dance there, we interact and then, yeah, it was all fun. It was part of, of, the, of the curriculum. But nowadays you find out that there is a, the syllabus is so wide that teachers rarely have time to, to be part of the with the kids in the field. So not enough time to do the things people want to do. We heard that a lot from teachers over the last two weeks that, I mean, which is the same thing we hear from teachers in the U.S., that uh, there's so much that's required to do, that there isn't enough time to do the things. Yeah. I mean, if you look at all the things you all said that you remember most, yeah. very few of you said maths and science. <laughs> I didn't hear a lot of that. Um, but uh, yeah, that's very important. So what was the most challenging part of going to school for you? Nowadays, we even have a football match for women. Mm, there is now. There is now? Yeah. Na shida gani ya kuenda shule, mnaza sema? Shida inyumuluko mnaona? You don't have even uniform. You have a uniform without even shoes. <laughs> Those were problems. We like women, you don't have even panty to wear when Sanitary going to. Uh, or it makes us to fear to go to school also. Yeah. So, yeah, we know. So, all the schools, the children wear uniforms. Do you like that the children wear uniforms? Yes. Um, but it's a, it's a challenge too because that's something else you have to pay for, right? You have to get. Yes. You have to also, find, when yeah. we come back home, you, you get that you don't have even. Nini, like this one to, to do your homework. So we were working with the traditional lamp. That means for fire. Fire. To do homework. Yeah. I never. I forgot to ask that. So do students, your children, do they have assigned homework at night? Do they come home with work that they're supposed to do while they're at home? Yes. They're given a. That's in, in some primary schools, not all primary schools in the U.S. give homework. Some do, some don't. I guess it's not really. I know at a secondary school level, one of the biggest complaints I hear in the U.S. is that students won't do their homework. How is secondary school different than primary school? Secondary school, at least we go there when we were now mature a bit. The things that we learn in our secondary school are very much different with primary schools. 
like you you can get to do the secondary school you cannot speak your mother tongue we also speak english while we are in the primary we were speaking any language though they were giving us something like a bone to put on your neck such that you don't speak the mother, mother tongue but the pupils in primary were to speak english were very difficult to, to them but in secondary you always speak english always it was cheaper than in primary <laughs> <laughs> so more teachers in primary schools are teachers come from the local places so in secondary school the teachers come from other countries so some are not close so that is the big challenge in secondary. oh interesting in secondary school you will find out that the the lessons and even uh, classes are more organized as compared to Primary. to primary mm. school you'll find out that um, like oh, when it is uh, a math lesson for example and uh, there is anything that needs to be done with the in the class the teachers prepare you okay when you are reporting to the high school you, you they tell okay you need this you need this for your for what you'll be doing in the in the in, in your classes you are so much prepared on like what is going to happen and maybe some some teachers even tell you some of the topics that you have to discuss in the in the next lesson which is far much different from from the from the primary and then uh, you find out that in secondary school students get more exposed as compared to primary there there is organized trip well organized trip trips where the students can can go in each and every time and that doesn't happen in primary because in most of the primary school they don't have school buses in primary mm -hmm. in secondary school like every school has a school bus so the the everything that takes place in a high school is very much organized and just to clarify so in kenya primary school is compulsory but secondary school <laughs> is not and so secondary school there's fees and tuition that you have to pay yes. to attend secondary school yes. um, Although the government says that's going to change after the election, is that a good thing? Are you all happy about? It? Yeah. The, both yeah. The, both the parties say that after the election that they that want to make free. secondary free. education free and compulsory. Is that yes. a good thing? Yes. You're looking forward to that? Yeah. Yes. I think another thing is uh, when you when you are in primary school, the syllabus are different from the secondary schools. You find when you go to secondary school, you study what you are going to do in the university or in the college. So that was so different. And when you are in, when you are in primary school, the different fees or fee structures which are being paid in primary school is different with the the different the, the fees that are being paid in the secondary schools. So you find uh, in secondary school a bit expensive. The poor people can't manage to take their their pupils to secondary school. So you find some are drop out from a specific standard. Well, when we met with the secondary school teachers yesterday, one of the challenges they shared 
was students who have to miss class because their parents are saving the money to pay the fees. Yes. And then they come back and then they're far behind. Um, and that it becomes a challenge for the students and for the teachers um, to, keep the, to, keep, to keep that caught up. Who was your favorite teacher in school and why was that person your favorite teacher? Me, head teacher, headmaster. That's why he was very funny when he came in class. <laughs> if there is a, a noun, something like the, tell me the word the. <laughs> what is the spelling of the word the? <laughs> that thing was making me to love that teacher because he was very funny. And when he comes to class, he has a cane. <laughs> when you don't have to explain the thing that is telling you, then you will have to be cane. <laughs> then the thing, another thing, when you have a, a smart bag, like this one here, he used to tell Uni, go away with your cheapest bag. It's <laughs> expensive, but... Uh, uh, he used to tell us he, and, and cheap. Clear <laughs> <laughs> Who else your favorite teacher and why? I'm saying that there was a teacher, she was born in theater and drama. And uh, there is this teacher who always came to their class and... Uh, she, on on uh, on getting in the class, just a point at that and say, okay, can you give us uh, some sort of entertainment? And uh, some, sometimes she was shy, and uh, she couldn't stand in front of people, and they were like, yeah. <laughs> to perform for us the, the, what you have before the lesson starts. So. He really liked the teacher because the teacher also loved that he was talented. She was talented. Yeah. Maybe sing some for the. We have an audience. <laughs> <laughs> like I, I like Ugali. When you want your pogre, when you want your pogre, Jomoko ware aware. She's talking about she's uh, uh, citing a poem about uh, ugali. Uh, ugali is a it's a bread it's a bread um, that to me uh, the the phrase I used, you can tell me how off this is. I told my wife think of sponge cake but without any sugar. Sponge cake. Yeah, like, without any sugar it. and then you would use often with the the fish and things here that we would eat you would use the ugali um, and use it to pinch some of the food and then and then eat yeah so she's saying that uh, how people normally take ugali is far much different eh? Some uh, people take very big portion of it, <laughs> yeah, and, and some people are just taking the small one, uh, and uh, some can even take like the whole, the whole plate of the, of the ugali for, for theirs, yeah. So those of you that are mothers, we have some adorable children. We're really going to have to post some pictures with this one. As mothers, what do you expect from the school? School. Yes. School. Mm. Wow. 
Yeah, okay, they want their children to learn so they can they, to learn so they can reach where they were unable to, to reach. So they, they want our their children to grow to be the best. I think every parent says that regardless of where yeah. on the planet. you want you want your children to, to achieve yeah. And, yeah. and succeed yeah. um, in new places. So we visited what three primary schools and a secondary school, mm -hmm. leaving out the safari because that's not terribly pertinent to what we're talking about. <laughs> um, maybe what's the one or two things that like you're going to remember most vividly of our experience in the schools here? Um, I'm Lawrence Clark. I'm at the University of Maryland. It's been a pleasure to uh, engage with this trip. Um, I guess one of the main things that I'll remember is the. Uh, engagement of the students from the perspective of really wanting to learn. Um, it felt like all students in classrooms really wanted to be there and they valued the experience that they were having and they valued our visit. So that was something that was that really struck me, just the extent to which the students were, were engaged in the lessons. And the second thing I I feel really uh, struck me was the extent to which the teachers appreciated the time that we spent with them. Um, they consistently told us that, that the, the sessions and the workshops were valuable and um, they were excited about us observing them teach and giving them feedback. So I guess those were the two main things that really struck me about the visit. Well, my name is Sarah Delano Moore and I'm a mathematics education consultant and author, and I would, would echo what, what Lawrence said in terms of the warm welcome and the, the real receptiveness to what we had to say. I think one of the things that impressed me most was classroom management. Class sizes are very large in the primary classrooms, as many as 75 or 80 children. And yet the teachers were able to keep them engaged, to have them interacting with the teacher counting with their fingers or some students coming to the front of the room to work with counters to do as they did math. Real connectedness and still focused on learning in spite of the challenge of classes of that size. So I'm Mary Mooney. I'm a math consultant at the, the Wisconsin Department of Public Instruction. I think I was most impressed with the eighth grade geometry lesson. 52 students in the classroom and they all had a compass at their desks where they were sitting five to a desk. They all had a pencil, and they all constructed the 60-degree angle, and the 30-degree angle, and the 15-degree angle. <laughs> and I think everyone in the class got it right. Mm -hmm. Just ha everyone having a compass, I don't think we see that in the United States. Somebody always forgets theirs or lost theirs. Yes. And if they didn't have one, they shared. Right. It they was shared. just very comfortable and supportive and friendly. Right. We so, all can do this together. Right. I feel like the, the evidence that they're really there to learn and their pencils. Uh -huh. Their pencils were about an inch. Well, I think um, getting to Sarah's point, the idea of classroom management, I feel like it's different here because it felt like it was student self-management. It didn't feel That's... as though the teachers were really managing the, the classroom from a, from a behavior perspective. Mm -hmm. It seemed mm -hmm. like the students were yeah. self-managing they knew their behavior. They were accustomed to behaving in a certain way when they are in the classroom, and therefore there was 
I, I didn't see very much um, overt or explicit classroom management from the teachers because there's an understanding that as a student, you behave in a certain way. You're right. They had mm -hmm. created good routines. Mm -hmm. So everybody knew what to expect and what to do and what was what was going to happen. Mm -hmm. But the routines worked because both teacher and student stuck with them. Yeah. That's a nice point. And I think the other thing that was funny was they had the routines and then they could be funny too. Yes. Mm -hmm. They weren't always strict because they joked around too. So part of the value of teachers to teachers is not just us coming here to help schools here, but also our opportunity to learn um, from the countries we visit. And so I guess, like, what's one thing you've learned here that you're anxious to take back to our jobs back in the U.S.? I think one of the things I learned that was the most fun, I learned a lot, but a couple of the primary teachers taught me how to count in the mother tongue of this community, <laughs> in the Luo. I hope I said that well. Um, and the structure of the number names is different. And as a math teacher, that's really interesting. And my brain is spinning with possibilities for what we might do with that at home because U.S. children struggle with place value and there ought to be some nice connections we can make. One thing that I learned in, in the United States, we are conditioned to um, think negatively oftentimes about mm. the circumstances and the conditions mm. under which our children are educated. Um, it's just how we do things there. And, and there are lots of different reasons. But one thing that I've, I have learned while here is that even under very challenging conditions, there is a, a way that teachers and students connect around learning and there's a joy and a happiness and, a, and an appetite around learning and teaching. And even if you have 60 children in a classroom, learning can occur. Meaningful learning can occur. And sometimes I think that we forget in the United States that um, anything is possible if you have the right attitude and, the, um, and, a, and, and a communal sort of spirit around the enterprise that you're engaged in. I think um, I'm impressed with the adults. They always speak in a strength-based notion about the children. They speak to their strengths instead of mm -hmm. what they can't do. And I think that, that really struck me. And also along the same lines, watching a social studies teacher who has no books and has nothing so her idea was to write songs about the social studies material to help students learn the rivers and the mountains of Africa. And then she borrowed the tunes, right? So how she, great they're all. Yeah, she took Christian one. hymns, right? Church hymns. <laughs> and she had them sing the names of the mountain ranges in Africa. And with very little, they can do a lot. Um, I guess without repeating Lawrence too much, it's the joy and the hospitality. I mean, you all have been wonderful. <laughs> I mean, you know, these strangers come into your home and you let us plop down and turn on a computer and then everyone sits and just and participates. I No, I really, I mean, in the schools, the teachers could not have been more gracious. Yesterday in the secondary school, there was miscommunication. So we showed up and they didn't know we were going to be there. And uh, yet 
they got a lesson together and prepared a meal for us and did a workshop. Well, and the sense that the children are everybody's children mm -hmm. is yeah. really strong here. That, that obviously children have parents, but still that the teachers, the community, all the adults are looking out for all of the children. And that has, has such power for, for strengthening the community and making it a welcoming place for us as visitors too. We're burning, and we're we're like, we're hot. <laughs> All right. So, so for a little to provide some relative perspective on this, I would put it. It's probably in the around eighty-ish right now outside. Yeah, eighty-ish and a little humid. There's a little breeze going through this room right now, but it's a little it's a little toasty. Um. Anyway, thank you all very much. We're gonna post pictures of what you made and a link. For if they want to order more stuff and uh, to uh, try to build some business for you guys so you can buy more machines. Um, but I think it's a phenomenal project. Thank you so much for welcoming us here. We've had a phenomenal time. So I want to introduce, we have a very special guest. Guest, guest star might be the better, might be the better phrase here. Um, you just heard her talking on the recording. She's uh, one of my colleagues uh, who joined me in, in Kenya. It, her name is Mary Mooney. You know, technically, Mary, I don't think you really need to introduce yourself because you did on the audio. And you're a star, so you're just known. So we, I could have just said Mary. Aw, thank you. I, I guess the thing that overall struck me, and I don't Mary, agree, agree, disagree, elucidate. Um, obviously, culturally, it was a very different experience. I mean, we saw things, kids were doing things. My, my favorite story to tell about the trip was... Typically, we would go to a school and in the morning we would observe classes and we'd go around and watch, and watch instruction and see how instruction was occurring. Um, and the students and the teachers were always incredibly gracious to let us to let us barge in and watch. And then in the afternoon, we would do mini workshops with the teachers and, and start to, and start doing some work. And one day we were at a school and the kids didn't actually go home. So it was a half day of school, but the kids didn't leave. They're all because they hadn't really, I don't know, nowhere better to be. And so I looked outside, we're doing this workshop, and I look out the door, and there's these, I mean, we would call middle schoolers, like sixth, seventh graders, with machetes in hand, um, doing landscaping, like hacking out these, hacking out these plants and these weeds and doing landscaping on the campus. And I looked and I'm like, okay, we know this would never happen in the United States. A, no school would give a sixth grader a machete. B, no sixth grader would be, would voluntarily do yard work, right. <laughs> yard work during the school day. Um, and and three, you would never do any of that without without the adults watching over them like a hawk. Um, but I mean, to them, that was just that's what they were doing. They were taking care of business and and playing around. Uh, which um, closely related to that was the first time I got terrified because we were in a first grade classroom and I see this kid pull out a razor blade. And then I realized that's how they, start, they were sharpening <laughs> right? their pencil. So it's funny that you said that, Tim, because I often reflect on the, those exact same experiences. But I actually take a little, I, when I talk to people and tell them about it, I kind of end with if there truly was like an apocalypse and we had to rely on the children to kind of get us back on our feet. I always say my money's going to be on the Kenyan kids. <laughs> True enough. True enough. Right? <laughs> I think, like, because our field is mathematics, man, those kids have problem solving outside of the classroom. Like, you don't, I'm sorry, you just don't see in this country. And do you think that's because 
they are like the school is part of their community and they are responsible for being helping you know to maintain the school like they have a have a responsibility that we don't necessarily instill in our own students right I definitely think that that's part of it plus they have less basically so they have to yeah um, right. do more with less so those kids have to get their own water a lot of things that our our children here take for granted they have to do every day it's a lot more perseverance. Perseverance becomes a, a just a natural state of being. Yes. Which it's not here. Here we have to actually teach them how to persevere. Kind of sad. Right. Exactly. Oh my gosh, that's exact. <laughs> I've thought about that a lot. Well, and it's all it's all a matter it's all a matter of your perspective too. I mean, this is this is the lives these kids know. So I mean, they they were doing what we would consider in the states arduous work just to get to school and to and to take care of their daily needs but there wasn't this sense of oh my life is horrible because i mean that's the cultural experience that's the lives they know i mean my big overarching learning from that experience in kenya and to to be honest also a similar lesson i learned from my trips to the other countries was that as much as the overall, like you're in a classroom, it's obviously uh, obviously an impoverished school. I mean, the classrooms were packed. You're talking 50, 60 kids at the lower grades in the classroom. Um, the kids wear uniforms, but if you look up close, the uniforms were often tattered. Uh, a, a significant percentage of students were, were barefoot going to school. Um, the kids would have to have, they had needed to have notebooks and several kids would have notebooks that were, um, parents would find discarded newspaper magazines and tie them together to make a notebook for the student. So you have that visual sense uh, of poverty, like, wow, this is really tough. This is really um, an incredible challenge. And it is. But then when you talk to the students and you talk to the teachers and you ask, like, what are your three things you find most fulfilling as a teacher, and what are the three things you find most challenging as a teacher? I swear to you, the Kenyan teachers told me the exact same things I would hear in Peoria, Illinois. <laughs> um, I mean, when they talk about challenges, they don't talk about challenges of poverty and challenges of, they talk about, what do I do with my struggling learners? What do I do, uh, my challenges, we have kids that are absent a lot and trying to catch them up after they're absent. Um, we have uh, kids that are struggling to read, and how do I help my struggling leaders? Readers. I mean, they're looking at education in a way very similar to what teachers anywhere see as as the challenges and the same as what do they find fulfilling when, when kids really get it. When I teach something and kids make the connections and all of a sudden like that light bulb goes off. I mean, they're very similar answers. So it just blew me away that I'm sitting here in a world that you couldn't fathom unless you were there. Yet, in terms of education and in terms of how teachers approach their professionalism and their experience, it's shockingly similar to what we would say here in the States. That is astounding that the place almost doesn't matter. If you're a teacher, you have your priorities are your students. I think that's the other interesting part that, that I really thought about a lot. Because we remember when we sat in a lesson for, and it was hot, that was probably 90 degrees in that room where the man did um, a construction of a 60 degree angle. And then we did another 60 degree angle and bisected it. Then we did another one. So these students for an hour did basically four constructions. And 
not going to lie, might have been a little bored by the bisecting of the to get 15 degrees. But um, I'm just thinking, when are these kids using this? Like, where where is this in their world? What? And first of all, the kids don't ask when they're ever going to use this. But then how does a Kenyan teacher think through the purpose of math education beyond it's to get a grade in, on a test. That is such a big priority now in the United States is, you know, real world connections, those types of things. So that's what, what I'm interpreting that you're saying is that you weren't seeing that as much, right? So I guess maybe what is the purpose of mathematics? What Mary alluded to and, and what I'm excited about in terms of being a part of that, of teachers to teachers is the elements to take that next step are there. Um, like I'm excited about the possibility of teachers to teachers working with Kenyan teachers and these kids have these incredible problem solving skills because they have to do it to, to get from day to day. Um, and how, do, how can we help teachers make those connections between those incredible skills they have? Because you're in these villages and the teachers, they're perceiving students as uh, students, they, they struggle, they're not, they're, they may not be that bright. These are struggling learners. We're just, we're trying to do the best we can. Not that we ever hear that from any teacher here in the U.S. Um, but, uh, but now it's like, really, how can we help connect these incredible skills and talents that these kids have and they're bringing to the table um, and help them connect that to, all right, these kids need to learn mathematics. Yes, yes. Right. There's so much math that they do during the day on a daily basis, but yet in school, they're learning the most bizarre skills <laughs> that I'm not sure how they connect. Is that something that you guys are trying to then maybe um, approach in the workshops that you're doing with them after you observe? Well, that's what that's what we're trying to approach. I mean, part of it and part of what we did, because we just did these little we did little two hour mini workshops I mean, the intent of this, this Kenya trip in, in the world of teachers to teachers is whenever we have a new country, a new potential partner, we send a small group the first year, some of it's to work out logistics, but also then meeting the schools, like are, are the teachers wanting to have that assistance and that partnership the, uh, um, that we can offer? And, and conversely, are they willing to share their expertise and open to sharing that with us? So that's the goal. The first trip, so we don't make a lot of headway. And the first trip, the first trip is really about identifying and establishing what would be the best relationship to both serve the the Kenyan teachers and the Kenyan schools and students, as well as serving the American teachers that are going to going to be part of that work. So, how do you even get involved in that? Like, that sounds exciting, and wow, I would love to do it. How do you get involved? Is it you know, is somebody paying for you to go over there? Are you paying yourself? And who are the teachers that go? It depends is the answer to all of that. <laughs> um, oh, that's your favorite answer for most things. Yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> so if you go to the website, there's all sorts of information. There's So there's different parts of the program. One of it, uh, part of it is workshops, teacher workshops. And those are usually folks who have done, prof or professional development providers have done that in the States and then provide those workshops in other countries. But then we also have teacher exchange programs where any teacher, even uh, we've had student teachers who go, um, teachers go and you would, you have a one-to-one -one relationship. You work with a teacher um, at a school in, uh, in one of these countries and you really spend a week, uh, it's, a, it's truly an exchange program. You spend a week in that classroom um, where you do, uh, there's a lot of sharing and then uh, toward the end of the week you do some co-teaching and work together. It's, it's a phenomenal experience. So really it's open to anyone regardless of uh, how much teaching you've done, 
and and what your experience is, there's something to, to, to be gained and an opportunity for you through teachers to teachers. In terms of the cost, I mean, typically it's really you're just covering your cost to go to the to the country. Different countries have different price tags. We partner with organizations in those countries that help us with those costs so that we can mitigate and um, make it as affordable as possible. Obviously, a plane ticket to Kenya is a plane ticket to Kenya, but um, the costs, the in-country costs are only going to be about $40 a day for room and board. Okay, so this was your first time to Kenya. Um, you guys got some insight, and you're obviously there's another one planned this summer. How many, like, is this a continuing effort? So every summer now from now on, we're going to Kenya or? So you spend a week in the school and for the teacher visit program, you're spending a week, like I said, it's a one-to-one -one experience. You go for a week. And then we also encourage using uh, the joys of the internet and uh, smartphones, believe it or not, are incredibly pervasive in Kenya because they get Chinese phones that are dirt cheap and Kenya doesn't do horrible data plans like we have here in the US. So, I mean, almost everybody, we were everybody we met and uh, talked to had had uh, smartphones, um, so the ability to stay connected to teachers even beyond that week is really easy. So it's uh, it really the idea is that it becomes a long term relationship. Now historically in other countries, uh, we get a group of teachers that end up wanting to go back every year. They sort of fall in love with the um, fall in love with the school and fall in love with the, an experience and then um, go back repeatedly and to to build that relationship and maintain that relationship it, i mean it sounds like such an amazing i mean i think i'm gonna have to do it one time as well um but just the experience just experiencing another culture and and, and finding the similarities like you did but also the differences and how they're working around them i think I think everyone, if they can, should be exposed to something like that. I, I mean, I agree. If you can, if you can be a part of it, it is. It's you, you will you will be a better educator when you get back than when you went. So, Mary, I want to ask you: How are you using what you learned in your experience over there? I mean, like, are you incorporating any of what you learned into? Because I know what do you actually? What do you do right now? You you uh, work with teachers. I'm trying like, I'm like, I haven't talked to you in so long. I don't even know what you do. Uh, <laughs> what do you do right now, Mary? That's a really hard question. Just ask me about Kenya. No. Um, so I work, I work for the state. I work for the department of public instruction in Wisconsin. So it's a lot of different things. Um, a lot of work with policy, work with districts, work with a lot of the stakeholders in a lot of different ways. So it doesn't really impact impact my work like in a really simple way to explain. But the way that it impacts my work is that I do actually think about what is the purpose of math education. And it's actually much more clear to me when I think of a country like Kenya because it is developing. So you've got these students, and we were in fairly remote areas where these students may not be leaving their city like we do in this country. Our kids will go to school, they leave, they come back, but they actually have the whole countries open to them. I don't think that's so much the case in Kenya, which is fine, but they have to figure out how to develop their world, their community, like at a smaller level. So that being said, like they really have to think about what is the purpose of math and how is it going to be used to help these kids, you know, grow their community and, and navigate life um, because they also don't have as many options as we do either. So it's kind of interesting to think about how education really needs to kind of be responsive to the culture or climate 
of any given place. It'd be nice if we had this ideal world, but there's also the reality of, hey, we're a growing country, we need people to do this, or we need people to do that. We have such a luxury in this country where we still can do whatever we want to do. We can, hey, I want to go into anthropology, I want to go... We can think of a lot of different things. I don't think Kenya has as many options for their students as far as where they can go and how they can get jobs. And I think all that impacts math. So it's kind of a weird answer, but that's kind of how, what, like my biggest takeaway. No, no, I think it makes complete sense. Maybe that's a great place to wrap up. What do you think, Tim? I would agree. Um, I, I feel bad I didn't give Mary a chance to talk about her other work. And you also didn't give me the chance to talk about the animals. And I didn't give you a chance to talk about the animals. You can put pictures of the safari. We did go on a safari. Um, <laughs> I will just briefly... Uh, Typically, with all the visits to countries, we add in an optional opportunity at the beginning or at the end to do some touristy thing. Um, I told, I keep telling my wife, someday I'm going to master how to travel without doing work. I haven't done it yet, but it's going to happen. <laughs> um, but a couple shout outs before we close that I think are important. First of all, if the women in Kenya who volunteered to teach as well as the, uh, the teachers that uh, we worked with uh, were phenomenal and thank you again so much guys if you're listening to this um and our partner like i said t teachers to teachers worked with partners in other countries and in kenya our partner was rafine rafine hello i know he'll listen to this um rafine was phenomenal to work with and and helped us work through all of our issues and and we're excited um to continue working with rafine and, and hopefully eric eric was a uh a very tolerant man and met all of our whims and needs on a regular basis. Hi, hi, Eric. Um, so thank you to all those guys. It was and the women. Sorry, Tim, we need to give a shout out. Go back to the women who cooked for us because a lot of women provided meals for us. Yeah, the food that so we could do a whole nother podcast on Kenyan. food. Yes, it took care of us. It was a cultural expectation. Like, so we were always fed whenever we would go anywhere. And nice. Um, it was, I mean, the hospitality that folks would show us talk about, uh, um, pulling out, pulling out the red carpet um, for folks who are uh, who already struggle to make day-to-day -day ends meet, and then guests show up from the U.S. and they're pulling out all the the red carpet and making phenomenal food, um, and they just could not have been more gracious um, hosts. Um, as well as shout out to Barack Obama's grandmother. We got to meet her while we were out there. That was also really awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, um, that's super interesting. Yeah, she, she lives I right by that. one of the schools we visited. Yeah, and we have to shout out to David, our driver, that drove us back and forth all over, too. Yet another very tolerant, hospitable, gracious man. Go, David. <laughs> so thank you so much, Mary, for sharing your experience with us. And what I'm hoping is that you will send some pictures, including your safari pictures. And I will post both a link to teacher to teacher and some of the pictures of their work with the teachers and the students and animals <laughs> thank you <laughs> so we're back on our regular schedule right madam greenhouse we are hopefully back on our regular schedule every other week we're going to have a new podcast welcome to the new year so thank you for listening to this special edition where we talked about kenya and teachers to teachers and shared some personal stories from mary mooney and tim pope yeah. um, be sure to listen to us on itunes what else? Rate us, say nice things, five five stars. <laughs> and thanks again, Mary. You're welcome. Anytime. The educated citizen.